Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. So today is an anniversary. All you hippies, ex-hippies, former hippies, future hippies, it marks the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the Woodstock Music Festival in Bethel, New York. And I'm sure the first thing that comes to mind for so-called conservatives is, oh, that was just for a bunch of drug-addicted, stinking hippies who hated the country. Well, you'll be wrong if you say that. Yes, there was a subtext of drug, sex, and rock and roll, and there was a lot wrong with the hippie culture at that time, but there's an awful lot of good that came out of it as well, and I'm going to talk about that today in context of the news of the day. You have to realize that many of the hippies that came out of that generation are today staunch conservatives and very successful people. Not all, but many. I count myself among them. I was never a hippie, but I certainly was aware of what was going on in my country in 1967. And I will tell you the story of my Be In Again movie festival in a moment. My Be In Again movie festival in 1967 in a moment. But let me state this right now. If it wasn't for that culture of freedom that Woodstock represented, I would not be where I am where I am today. I would have been stuck probably as a dentist somewhere in New York, buried six feet under from heartbreak and heart attacks, uh, repeated heart attacks from having been in a dead-end life. But I'll tell you that story in a little bit here. But you should remember that not all so-called hippies use drugs and engage in sexual madness. Just remember that. And we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly about that period and how it affects us today. And one of the effects of that period is so negative in San Francisco. They are stuck in a time warp. The fools and morons who run this city are so criminally negligent that they have to be removed from office. I've said this before, that the FBI needs to come into San Francisco and remove the politicians and lock them up. Let me give you a story that's not going to make it to your local paper, but you must hear about. I saw a video last night that had my jaw dropping. It was a young woman in her 30s trying to go home to a new condominium somewhere on Beale Street down south of Market. New, brand new building, gorgeous apartment building. As she's trying to get into her apartment, a homeless bum assaults her. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. He says that he's the last sane human being on earth, and he wants to save her from all of the robots out there. And she ensues in a struggle with this homeless piece of garbage who should have been locked up a long time ago, but for Jerry Brown's father, who released all the bums from the mental hospitals. Here we are today because of ultra tolerance. Listen to what happens. If you want to watch the video from KRON television, I guarantee you, you're not going to believe what you see. It's on michaelsavage.com. It's like four or five down on the left. Homeless bum violently attacks young woman in San Francisco. You want to hear the well, Let me tell you what happened. I found out just now that this crazy man who tried to kill this woman and the woman who was at the uh, front uh, desk of that building is now free in the streets. They released him on Wednesday night. Now, why would a city release a man who tried to kill a woman in a doorway? Why is he on the streets? She's terrified. The story just broke that he's not in prison. He's not in a mental hospital. The man who was walking around saying that he's the only human left and he wants to save this girl and go in the building with her and kill the doorwoman. 
So this girl fights with him. She's a strong woman in her 30s, fights with him. She's tough as nails and she's in good shape. She finally breaks free, free and tries to get into the lobby. And then her and the woman who's at the door lock the bum out and he starts pounding on the door, spitting on it, blah, blah, blah. You got to watch the video. The woman escaped because she fought him. But that's not the end of the story. The cops find him hours later wandering the streets, and he was released by the liberal, fanatic, psychotic judges in the city. There is no law and order in San Francisco. It's a lawless, dangerous city that people are getting killed in. Do you understand this? And it's being swept under the rug. Now, having talked about violence as a result of ultra tolerance, let us talk about the six cops who were shot yesterday in Philadelphia. Where have you seen that story today, Anderson Cooper? Nowhere, because the shooter was not a white male. If it was a white male, they were praying to God. I guarantee you, Andy Cooper and those who run CNN were praying to God that the guy who shot the six police was a white male with an AK-47 or an AR-15. Do you know the kind of rifle he used? The one who was not white who did the shooting of the police? Have you seen a picture of him anywhere? No, you haven't. Do you know why? Because the media in this country is so sick, so degenerated in terms of the truth that they've destroyed the nation. Half of the nation is destroyed by it. So you have to understand, as I go back to the main theme of the show, that not everything that came out of the ultra tolerance of the Woodstock generation was bad, but some of it is beyond bad. It's suicidal. And of course, we're still paying the price for the suicidals, the suicidals who are now running things in the city of San Francisco, for example. But I want to go back to my main theme. Today is the anniversary of the beginning of the Woodstock Music Festival. And I'm going to ask those of you who are listening to the show, were you at Woodstock? But more importantly, that's kind of not that interesting to me. Are you a former hippie who eventually grew up, had a family, and became a conservative in many ways? Not 100%, but in many ways. Are you? Do you listen to this show? I know you do. And you have to remember that there were very positive elements about the freedom of that period. It was not all bad. It permitted people to dig within themselves and find the core of something else within them. I myself went on the road because of it. Were it not for this culture, was it not for the books of Jack Kerouac and others, I would not have been able to free myself from the path that I was set out to follow in New York. I never would have left New York City if not for influences like that. I would have stayed him trapped in some dead-end profession. So you can't say that the Woodstock period was all bad. Many conservatives were shaped by this culture. You could say it was a movement that in some ways embodied a core tenet of conservatism, which is individualism. Do you understand that? Each of those hippies was their own person, to be sure, trying different things. And as they grew older, they embraced personal responsibility and even use the confidence they had gained to be themselves, to become successful in their lives. You can say that they were night and day from their parents' generation who survived the Depression and the World War. Yes, you could say that. But they did what they had to do to survive, and they went their own way. Those children who had seen what the horrors of war had done to their parents embraced a movement of peace and love, and yes, some of them drugs, because they didn't necessarily have the hardships their parents suffered, but they grew to rely upon themselves nevertheless. And so, yes, while you can point to the negatives of Woodstock, there are positives also, and they led to some men and women becoming fabulous human beings and doing great things. 
and not all so-called hippies use drugs and engaged in sexual madness. There are other stories that I'm going to talk about today before I get back to my own story of the Be In Again Film Festival in New York City. I'm going to ask you again, are you a conservative who was once a hippie? Uh, do hippies have anything good? Have they done anything good for America? Were you raised in this culture by parents who were hippies? Now, we could go into the news of the day, which is should very poor or indigent immigrants be sent back from this country. You know what I think about that. There's a big story going around about the Emma Lazarus poem on the Statue of Liberty. Give us your poor, your tired, your hungry, and those yearning to be free. Your tempest tossed and blah, blah, blah. But as I have taught the world and America, when that saying was emblazoned on the base of the Statue of Liberty, this was not a welfare state. People came here to work, and if they didn't work, they didn't come here. They were either taken care of by their family or they didn't make it at all. They were not allowed into this country. We had very, very few immigrants coming in who were unable to take care of themselves. Today, the exact opposite is true. Take a look at the hordes coming in from Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, etc. cetera. Are you telling me all of these people are self-sufficient? Catholic charities standing online giving them everything on earth before they even get into America, telling them that they're great and this is a racist nation. It's a world that's been turned upside down by insanity. So that's a topic I want to talk about. I can ask you again what you think. Should we let everyone into this country? Are you insane? How about this? Do you support the Jew haters, Omar the Terrible, and Talib, the terrorist-loving congresswoman being barred from entering Israel? Thank God that Donald Trump tweeted that Netanyahu should block these two pieces of trash from entering Israel. I said from the beginning, why would you let an enemy into your house? Would you let someone enter your house who hates you? Would you let someone come into your house who's going to report that you're an evil person? I said to Netanyahu, right on this show, don't let these bums in. Well, that's what he banned them today. And of course, now, of course, the left is going to say this proves Israel's a racist state. It's not the only democracy in the Middle East, blah, 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 blah. But as I've said to many leftists throughout my life, the following, I'll say it to you, the audience. If you, you listening to this show, have such sympathy for the peaceful Palestinians, the poor disenfranchised Palestinians, if you were without a passport and you found yourself without a passport somewhere in the Middle East, which country would you rather be in? Israel? Jordan? Egypt? Lebanon? Syria? Which nation would you rather be in without a passport? Where do you think you might have the best chance to survive? You know in your black heart that it would be Israel alone that would let you live. Every other nation, you'd be beaten to death and killed probably within three hours. So don't lie to yourself about the evils of the Israelis. If it wasn't for them, it was just a pile of rock and sand. It was a pile of rock and sand until the Jews came there and cultivated it and built a great civilization. So stop lying to yourself about the disenfranchised Palestinians. That's like talking about the Native Americans being disenfranchised while you yourself haven't given back your house, your land, or your apartment, have you? given nothing to them. It's easy to pay lip service to these things. But, you know, I don't want to get off the track of where I started today. It's the anniversary of a seminal date in American cultural history. It happened in 1967. It was on the grounds of a farm up in upstate New York in Bethel, New York. Beautiful piece of land. Great music. But, of course, the land was trashed. We all know that. But, you know, I was a part of this in a tangential way and it influenced the rest of my life. 
And I'll tell you exactly what it was called. In 1967, there had been a being in San Francisco. It was a human being in Golden Gate Park's polo field on January 14th, 1967. It was a prelude to San Francisco's Summer of Love, which made the Haight-Ashbury District a symbol of American counterculture and introduced the word psychedelic to suburbia. And the human being took place. Basically, it was a bunch of people getting together, listening to music, and Timothy Leary was there pushing LSD, turn on, tune in, drop out. Richard Alpert, Ramdas, the fraud, uh, the degenerate poet Allen Ginsberg, who uh, gave his, his double talk. Gary Snyder, an unknown. Michael McClure, no longer known by anybody, and others uh, who were there. And music was provided by the Jefferson Airplane, the Grateful Dead, Big Brother and the Holding Company, Quicksilver Messenger Service, and Blue Cheer. Uh, most of these groups had been staples of the Fillmore and the Avalon Ballroom, etc. What did I have to do with any of this? I was living in New York at the time, in 1967. And I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I think in 67 I was a teacher somewhere, I guess. So I got a wild idea. I took an ad in the Village Voice... And I said, if you have film of the Bean Festival in Golden Gate Park, send it to this address and blah, 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 and I'll pay you a certain amount of money, and we're going to show it in a film festival here in New York. Well, the minute I come back, I will tell you about the debacle of the film festival I try to put on in New York City's Lower East Side in an old lot between tenement buildings. You'll never believe what happened. You've never heard this story before, but you need to hear it to see what life becomes and how it goes up and down at every turn. Savage. Hey, here's a question. How did you sleep last night? Did you spend the night tossing and turning, worrying? Now, look, if you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple mattress. The founders of Purple are two brothers who have been developing cushioning technology for 30 years on things like medical beds, wheelchairs. Well, in 2016, they finally decided to use their patented comfort technology to create Purple, the world's most scientific mattress. Now, what does that mean? How is Purple different from other mattresses? Listen, the Purple mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced. Why? Because it uses the brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It was not like the memory foam that I'm used to or you're, you're used to. No, no. The Purple material, the Purple material feels unique because it's both firm and soft at the very same time. So it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable. Unlike foams, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. It ends up giving you the zero-gravity-like feel, so it works for any sleeping position. Okay, 100-night risk-free trial. You're not satisfied? You can return your mattress for a full refund. It's backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping and returns, free at-home setup, old mattress removal. You ready? You're going to love purple. And right now, my listeners will get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text SAVAGE to 84-888. The only way to get this free pillow is to do this. You ready? Text SAVAGE to 84-888. That's S-A-V-A-G-E to 84-888. Text S-A-V-A-G-E to 84888. S-A-V-A-G-E to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. So, in a way, we are celebrating all these years together. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? 
1967, the 50th, was it 67? The 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Music Festival, 69, Bethel, New York, 69. 69 was the, oh, so I predated that with the Be and Again Film Festival. And I'm going to get back to the homeless bum violently attacking a young woman in San Fran and released from jail two days later. I'm going to ask you again why we have not seen anything about the gun used by the black individual who shot six police yesterday. Imagine if he was white. We'd know everything about the gun and the gun manufacturer. Where's the screaming now about ban automatic weapons? Where'd he get the gun from? Do you understand how sick the left-wing media is in this country, how they've destroyed this nation? They've cut the heart out of this country. The brains were cut out a long time ago. But Anderson Cooper represents everything evil about American media. A blank idiot. Has he reported on the shooter? Have you seen the picture of the shooter in Philly? No, I haven't seen him. We'll talk about that if you want. Or how about, how about old Epstein found with a broken neck? Haven't talked about that much, have we? Nothing to see here. Hasn't been a successful suicide in that prison in 40 years. He was given sheets in his cell, not given paper sheets. Broken bones in the neck, common in strangulation deaths. How do you like that? No one saw anything. It was right out of the Godfather. The guards were, were on a vacation somewhere, on an off-duty, right? No one heard anything. No one knew what happened. This is right in front of our eyes. This is something that happened in a third-world country. There was a movie in the 60s called Z about corruption in Greece. I loved it by Cosa, Cosa Gravis, one of the great filmmakers of his time. And it shows a situation that no one could believe. It brought, it, it brought about a revolution in Greece, by the way. Do you realize that if this country was not so drugged up and didn't have such a corrupt, degenerate left-wing media, there'd be riots in the street over the death of Epstein? Do you know that? In a sane nation, nobody would tolerate this. But I'm getting too far afield. I mean to talk about the hippie generation in 1969. But 1967, I put on the Be It Again Film Festival, and I haven't gotten to that story. I promise you I will when we get back from this wonderful break. You have to hear the story. You know, there's a little hippie in everybody, and everybody knows that. No matter how uptight they claim to be, you know, you got these people in the conservative media who are drug addicts who make believe that they're clean and straight as an arrow. I just love it. The hypocrisy is overwhelming. You know, you think everybody's as straight as they say they are. They go, oh, hippies are bad. They screwed up America. What do they do in the privacy of their own home? Or at night when no one's around. First of all, I don't care. You know, but stop casting aspersions and everybody who was into that thing at that time is the, is the issue. So I want to go back quickly and get rid of that story. It's a great story. Today marking the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the Woodstock Music Festival in 1969. But back in 67, as I said, in San Francisco, there had been a being again, a being festival. Anyone listening to the show go to that in Golden Gate Park, by the way? That's an interesting question. I wonder how many people went there and heard the original music or Quicksilver or The Grateful Dead. So, okay, the country is captivated by this being in 67, not as big as the Bethel thing. So I get wind of it in New York. I figure I'll put on a being film festival. So I take an ad in the Village Voice, and I'm calling it the Being Again Film Festival. I still have original posters done by a guy I knew up in New York in that time. Really a psychedelic poster, all hand-drawn. You won't believe it. Very complicated piece of uh, art. And, um, okay, so send me your films, short films of the festival. 
in San Francisco, and I'll pay you a certain amount of money. I'm going to do a film show. Okay, bingo. I get about 30, 40 entries. All right, so I rent a barren lot between tenement buildings in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Now, remember, it was a slum at that time. Now it's very expensive. At that time, it was just a bum slum, you know. And it's strewn with garbage and tin cans and old couches. I go in there with my friends a few nights before. We clean up the lot. We rent chairs. I rent two projectors. The big night comes. I got all the films lined up. I'm going to switch reels. What did I get? 20, 30, 40? Who knows? 40 people at five bucks. What do I know when I got? I know how much it cost. I was no business then. But, you know, sadly, my father shows up. My uncles show up. It was really beautiful. I never thought they'd be there. I figured, oh, look, the kid's going to make something of himself. He's putting on a film show here. In the- <laughs> now, it was kind of beautiful in a way that the men showed up. Right, Jim? I mean, it was kind of touching. They were straight as arrows, these guys, immigrant guys. But they figured, what's he doing? You know, we'll support him. That's the way they did it. If you opened the candy store, they came and bought candy. You opened a grocery, they came and bought deli items. If you put on a film festival, the men showed up. That's the way it was. Okay, opening night. They're all there waiting for the show to start. I start running it with loud music in this, you know, cavernous area between tenements. All of a sudden, the Polish tenants who were living upstairs start screaming, you hippie bums, you get out of here, you bums, you filthy. And they start throwing pails of water down on the crowd. I said, what? This is my big opening night. Pails of water, you filthy, disgusting drug addicts. You get out of my yard. I'll come down and kill you. And bottles are coming down. Water's coming down. A, a pail of water goes into the Bell and Howell projectors. That was it. That was the end of my career as a film producer. It's a true story. But it's not the end of the story. It's only the beginning of the story. I want to show you something of the positive side of this. While I was promoting this Be In Again Film Festival, I bet you I could still find posters online somewhere. I'd love to go in my archives and sell one right now. Uh, I had handed out posters for people to come. So I'm all over the Lower East Side in between my work, handing out flyers, come to the Be In Again Film Festival a certain night. I see this stunningly beautiful girl. Now, remember, here I am, a young guy. I don't know how old I was. I was in young 20s. And I'm walking around with a big overcoat. It was in January uh, 67 in New York City. It was cold. And I had my little doggy tucked into my coat with his head sticking. I don't know who wouldn't want to talk to that guy. So I have this little doggy. I think he was, uh, I don't know what he was. I forgot already. Willie, I think he was died. How he died, I forgot. Uh, Willie, a little Yorkie. A little Yorkie sticking his head out of this guy's coat, handing out flyers. So she took a flyer, and I said, you want to have dinner with me? It wasn't an immediate yes, but it was a, a yes. We wound up going to a little Italian restaurant a day or two later. This was before the water, the water night. The restaurant was on 10th Street and 2nd Avenue. It was called La Orquida. I remember it to this day because it was a little local Sicilian restaurant. I remember the food was great. I married that girl, and we're still married. So... What I'm saying is we built a life together. I never would have met her had I not promoted that film show. Never. And I wouldn't be here on this show right now had I not been oriented towards this sense of freedom. Explore what's inside yourself. You have to be brave to explore what's inside yourself. It's very easy to not explore what's inside yourself. It's very easy to go along with what you're supposed to do, what your parents set out for you to do, what your culture or society set out for you to do. It's very risky to take chances, as you well know. Some fell by the wayside. Some became violent, crazy people, but not all did. Some became 
what you are, former hippies who are productive members of society. So I'm going to take some calls now. Let's begin in Bakersfield, California. Gene, thanks for holding. Go ahead, please. We're open for business on the Savage Nation. Hello, Dr. Savage. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, I really commend you for your coverage on this time period between 1967 and 69. I was born in 1960, so, of course, those were my wonder years. Color television coming out in 66, 67. I really didn't know what was happening at the time. Moved to San Francisco. I was a semi-professional musician. I, I can't hear you for some reason. I don't know if the volume is a problem, the phone is a problem. Speak up, please. Go ahead. Okay, Go so ahead. Anyway, um, 67 to 69, my wonder years, tele- color television first came out, and I didn't really know what was happening, but it, was, it seemed very uh, exciting. But are you today a political leftist or a conservative or a middle-of-the-roader? You know, I'm the middle of the rotor. You know, I, 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 I kind of, you know, along with your lines. But, um, you know, I, I played the circuit up in the Bay Area. Lived in- oh, so you you are a musician from that era, after that era. All right. Well, that's interesting. But we say along your line, I'm an independent conservative, which is what I've been from the beginning. I don't overly identify with the political orientation because I avail myself of what's really going on. Like, would you expect me to be an animal activist, someone who wants to see the animals of the earth protected or the earth itself not poisoned? No. So I think I got that as a result of having had my mind opened up during that period. And I thank you for calling from Bakersfield. Are there any women out there who are ex-hippies who are now conservatives? Are any women out there who are uh, come from hippie families or grew up on a commune? I once did a show on this. It was fascinating. You know, not everybody was uh, like the guy in uh, in San Quentin. What was his name? The guy who had all those girls down in the ranch and then uh, killed himself. Manson. Not everybody was a Manson, you know. Now, I was confused with Manson at one point in my life. I had long hair and I actually looked like him when I was young, but I wasn't like him. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you another side story, which is 100% true, and I'm not ashamed to tell it. <laughs> I had long hair. And such. So I go to Israel in 19, what year was this? God in heaven, 77 the first time. My hair is very long. I have a beard. And my wife at that time, we've been together 10 years, was a beautiful blonde woman who looked like, uh, so I come to the Israeli, the airport in Tel Aviv. They said to me, are you Charles Manson or one of his followers? They, They didn't want to let me into the nation. I swear to God. I had explained to them, no, I'm a, I'm actually a scientist. I've been invited here by a top uh, president of Hebrew University to do research. They didn't believe it. They gave us a going. They thought we remember the Biden-Manhoff gang. I mean, that's what we looked like. What are you going to do? You can't tell people by what they look like is what the point is I'm trying to make, right? Santa Cruz, Greg, line five. Tell us your story, your hippie story. I was 17 at the time in 67. The motto was turn on, tune out, and what is it, turn on? Tune out and drop out, or whatever it was. Roam yeah. the streets of Berkeley on acid. Roam the streets of uh, Hate Ashbury. Went to all the peace, love ends, and all that crap. All my friends became hippies. I was a hippie surfer. Met my future wife in the seventies. Now I live in Santa Cruz on a successful business here in Santa Cruz, Marin County, with over a hundred people. And I'm, I'm conservative. Love my country, and I think I lo- what I learned from it was. I was aware of myself, aware of people, and, and took care of myself uh, uh, eating right, and now I'm... Right, right, right. That's exactly 100% right. Because of that era, 
and t- tuning into the, the, the ethos of that era, I became a leader in the writing of books on health, nutrition, homeopathy, herbal medicine. I, I, I just invested myself into that. I would owe my current health, thank God, to that. And I think that's also what you're saying. And also, I went from hell and back so many times from running pot from Oaxaca and trucks being shot at from the Federales to riding big waves in Hawaii to where I, I, I went out there and took risks with my parents with status quo. I probably would have been dead already by just eat, the way they ate and everything, but by taking risks, now I have a big uh, a business with my... Okay, that's what I was saying, is a lot of people, because of that time in American history, took chances they never would have taken otherwise. That's what you're confirming, right? Exactly. Well, what is it like to be a surfer riding a big wave? You know, I've often thought about it. I can't do it. I, I mean, the most I ever did was a boogie board. After I got kicked out of the house because I was a hippie surfer, got kicked out of high school, I moved to Hawaii, lived on the north shore of Oahu, surfed. Wait, which town did you live in? I, I lived on the, on the north shore of Hawaii while I was at the university. Which, which town were you in? I was living on uh, Sunset Beach on the point there for about eight years. And- <laughs> I know the area well. I rented a, a dilapidated uh, <laughs> a dilapidated piece of someone's house right off that highway in that surf area. I used to commute to the University of Hawaii. I had a broken old Ford that I bought for $50 that had no steering wheel. No steering wheel. It had only a horn rim, I swear to God. Well, the locals were pretty viciously anti-white at that time. I know I'm not supposed to say it. They hated us. They didn't want us in their community. One night I come home in my car, I've been pushed out onto the highway. I got the message pretty clearly. I left two days later. I didn't want to wind up dead in the cane field. But what's it like to ride a 50-foot wave? Exhilarating, man. It was like better than drugs. <laughs> I literally, I, we used to get shit ton stone, man, on ass and everything out. You paddle out there, 50 minutes later, you're sober. You're taking off on these big freaking waves, man. <laughs> you get pounded a couple times ago. You're wide awake. When you're riding a big wave, uh, I mean a really big wave, you're picking up the energy of the ocean and the energy of the earth itself. Is that it? Oh, man. Yeah, there's nothing better. How come you think I live in Santa Cruz now? I surf. So up- do you still surf as an older guy? Shit, yeah. You do. And you own a successful business. Well, so you see, you, you are not the stereotypical image that so-called fake conservatives would have of those stupid druggy hippies meanwhile they're the ones who are arrested for using drugs okay all right man thanks very much for being with us today on the show i'm just showing you how diverse the audience is to this program and i know i just prayed actually i resonated that i would get all the people who also went through that woodstock period in america and wound up quite okay in this country that's what i'm trying to get at don't fall for the stereotype that all conservatives are clean and good and all so-called liberals are all bad and that anyone that was a hippie is a filthy bum and no good. That's all a lie. It's all a lie. Learn to take people as they are. I'll be back because I take you as you are. Savage. You don't have to be an uptight right-wing maniac to be a conservative, welcome back to the Savage Nation, nor do you have to be a flaming communist street thug to be a liberal. Guess what we just found? Jim Verde did a search during the break. I, he's one of the producers, great guy. And J- Jim looked online. He found the poster that I was giving out in the streets of New York to promote the Being Again Film Festival. 
and it's for sale. It won't be long. It's probably just gone. He said the one copy was gone. This is the exact poster I was giving out in the streets when I met my wife. Be in Again Film Festival, Easter Be in Films and Sounds from Central Park. Oh, I thought it was from uh, Golden Gate Park. Uh, help recreate the be in and move the caravan around the country. Group movement outdoors under stars. All come to the Phoenix Restaurant Garden. 339 East 10th Street, Avenue B, May 12th, 13th, 14th, 7 p.m. presented in New York City. I can't believe this, Jim. That's the exact poster, and there's the hippie art on it on the bottom by Marty. I remember Marty drew that stuff. I hope Marty is still living. Unbelievable. Well, today is the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, and I've been talking about, are you a current conservative who was a raging hippie? Did hippies do anything good for America? Were you raised in this culture? And also the news of the day. Uh, the Jew haters Omar and Talab being barred from entering Israel. Thank God uh, they listened to Trump and had the backbone to keep these vultures out. Epstein's neck. I'll be back. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. What a long ride it's been. You know, when I look back, I can't believe 50 years have gone by since uh, that period in American culture. And I'm so glad that I was part of it. And I'm so glad that I've been a leader in the alternative health movement, a leader in ethnobotany, and then a leader in reality and politics. You want to call me a conservative, an independent conservative. Call me whatever you want. I don't think you can easily define me. But I've been part of American culture for a very long time. And I remember... I remember the evolution, how it went from peace and freedom and love and acceptance. And the movement had been hijacked by the communists early on, which is why they became anti-war. And how they undermined our troops in Vietnam and forced the government to have our troops withdraw from Vietnam, stabbing the troops in the back in Vietnam, all the way up to now stabbing the president in the back, again hijacking the ideals of that time and becoming the useful idiots that Lenin wrote about. Welcome to uh, Hour 2 of today's Savage Nation. We're celebrating in a certain way the 50th anniversary of the uh, Woodstock thing in 1969. And I had told a story about my 1967 Begin Again Film Festival that I try to promote. And what happened, I think it was righteously funny. Make for a great movie. Someone in Hollywood might steal it and turn it into something else. What are you going to do? You throw ideas out there. You can't copyright your brain, can you? If you could, mine would be worth a fortune. But I don't need every penny on the planet. I don't need every idea that I think of uh, cataloged as mine. You just let things flow. It's that simple. So here we are, and I've asked a leading question. I'm trying to not avoid the news. I actually tied it to the news of how the freedom and the peace of the 60s led to the insanity of San Francisco today, where that many of the people who were hippies in that time went into politics and unfortunately, they never evolved. And as a result of not evolving, the city is a cesspool and a very dangerous crime-ridden city as well. That's the whole point. In other words, they never grew up. I did. It's that simple. 
So how come you were then now? Doesn't it make you a hypocrite? No, on the contrary, it makes you a wise person. You were a boy then and you're a man now. I tried to explain that years ago. Most of the people who run the city in San Francisco are not even boys. They're infants. They're infantile in their thinking. So a homeless bum tries to beat a woman uh, the other night in San Francisco, preventing her from going into an, uh, I'm talking about a high-end condominium, fights with her at the door, and uh, I would say he would have killed her because he said he wanted to go in her apartment with her, and he's deranged, said that everyone on the earth had been killed, he's the only human left, everyone's a robot, and he wants to get in the lobby and kill the door woman who was there. So the two women fight this psycho off, kick him out, keep him out, and I found out just before the show started that the idiots in San Francisco released him. He is not even in a mental ward. He is on the streets. What would you do if you were that woman's brother? What would you do if you were that woman's brother? Would you let that woman alone in the street after this? Would you let her go home again when you know that raging maniac is out there because of the psychopaths who run San Francisco, let her out? It's long overdue that the FBI come into San Francisco and take over this government. The federal government needs to take over this government. It is out of control. But it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So as I broadcast every day, I sit here in one of my studios. I keep little mementos on my desk. I don't know why. They've just collected over the years. I have such a collection of stuff. Some of it's junk, piles of papers, books. And here I have a, what is this, multi-window Volkswagen bus model. And it says on it, Love and peace. There's a surfboard on the roof. This is like a 32-window van. So I'm a car nut. So I read the car magazines every month. So one of them is sports car market. And the other day, I couldn't believe it. I was reading a multi-window Samba van sold for $192,500. I said, what? 1959 Volkswagen Transporter Samba 23-window microbus. And it only had 428 miles on it since uh, restoration. And I said, what? $192,000 for a VW bus? Hard to believe. Now, these buses were so underpowered with 36 horsepower engines, they couldn't even go up a San Francisco hill today. And by the way, could you imagine trying to drive that bus up a hill anywhere with the three, uh, the three rows of seats filled with people? And by the way, don't try a hill or a corner. This example that sold for $192,000 had previously been seen at Meekum Monterey 2017 where it sold for $143,000. So someone bought it for 143 grand in 2017 and sold it in 2019 at another auction for 192,500. It's amazing. I watch the car markets and I'm very amazed at what what happens with uh, fads. Porsches went up, now they went down. Uh some cars went up triple quadruple for when I bought my old Jags. I bought the Jags because I have a nostalgia for Jaguars of that period. So I have a 1970 XKE convertible, and I have a 1960 150 drophead coupe. They're beautiful, and both of them drive well. But had I bought, let's, bought a, uh, uh, an Aston Martin, would have gone up five times. But what are you going to do? I actually drive these cars. What they call them, what, trailer queens, those that you don't drive? You buy these cars, you fix them up, and you never t- touch them. I drive my cars. And I really enjoy it. But I live in, uh, in a different universe than everybody that I know. But I asked you a question about are you a current conservative who was a raging hippie? Or did hippies give anything good to the world? Were your parents hippies? Now, I could talk about the broken neck of Epstein. We know it wasn't a suicide. It was a, it was a, why do you think for two days, Monday, Tuesday, I played the Godfather music? What, I didn't know it? He hung himself. He hung himself like my toe stubbed itself.
Okay, my toe came off my foot and walked into a wall. Are you crazy? This had a hit all over it, right? I have a third world country. What's going to happen in New York? Nothing. It's run by de Blasio. Are you joking? A corrupt communist. Or yesterday you had a, a guy shooting at cops. He injures six cops. You don't see the guy's face. You heard nothing about the, the rifle he was using. Why? Because he wasn't a white male. Because of vermin like Anderson Cooper and the other frauds in the media who have destroyed the mind of America and the world. And so I don't want to get hung up now on the anger and the hatred that I have in me for these people. As far as I'm concerned, they should be thrown in prison for what they've done. If it was up to me, the guy who runs CNN would be in jail next to Epstein. But I have no power. I'm only a talk show. So that's all I am. And I've been through a long period of American cultural history. It's like 50 years of it. That's a half a century. So Dylan wrote, don't look back, because he took it from the Bible. Don't look back, right? The famous story in the Bible. Almost all the great literature is based on biblical statements. Read Shakespeare. You'll find out I'm right. Some of the great titles are from uh, the Bible. Uh, read uh, some of the great titles in history. They're from the Bible. Where do you think Don't Look Back comes from? Dylan didn't write it. But Dylan's a great poet. But Don't Look Back comes from the story of who? Anyone know the Bible? Where she looked back and turned to a pillar of salt? I never quite understood it. I look back all the time. I haven't turned to a pillar of salt yet. But okay, it's a metaphor. I get it. So here we are. Let's take the callers now. We have one woman calling. I have one woman caller out of the millions that listen to me. Judy in Napa County, line two. Welcome to the program. Tell us your story. Hi, Michael. Um, I was uh, got into college in 68 in San Francisco, and I ended up, and I was uh, more of like a rock and roll hippie. I had a job working for Bill Graham at Fillmore West. Wow. I also had Fillmore East. I knew all the bands because I had to have them sign tax release forms. But <laughs> Oh, so you were like the business head. I was the business person, but I also ran, was at, worked at the snack bar. So, I Oh, yeah. The- yeah, used you any way they could. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, oh. we go, we, I didn't mean any aspersions by that. Okay, go on, please. All right. So, I, uh, I, my parents, my grandparents came from Russia. So, I, I always knew from school also that communism is horrible. But I was sort of a hippie, and my parents were Democrats. And when I got to college, I heard the word liberal, and I thought, oh, that's cool. So I was a Democrat and actually voted for Al Gore. I became pretty conservative, though, as a nurse. And, um, mm. and when I was turned on to some person named Michael Savage on the radio many years ago, I became a extreme conservative and yeah, I, I take responsibility i bear it for that so you must have heard me locally on ksfo or was it when i was a national host yeah. you must have heard me in another in another city or here in the bay area san francisco yeah well, i've been i've been on ksfo almost continuously for 25 years with a couple of years when i was on some other local stations when things went went off the rails so here i am again um a, a voice of the counterculture in san francisco isn't it interesting that the people who run this city and the whole bay area who consider themselves so wild and counterculturish they're the exact opposite i'm the counterculture in the city i am the counterculture in this city they are not they are the ones who are the culture and it's a ruinous culture at that judy the marxism that where they try to um 
turn, make everything. They're a bunch of phonies through and through. You wave a dollar bill in front of them, they'll trip over themselves to try and grab it. All of the crazy Marxists out there. Just wave a dollar bill in front of their nose. They'll crush a child on the foot to grab that dollar bill. All these, all these Marxists out there. It's terrible. Ah, come on. They're phony through and through. So what do you do today? You're a nurse or retired? I'm an, I retired, um, and I was um, total. What kind, of, what kind of nurse were you? Registered nurse. I worked in the heart unit at Marin General. I worked. Eight- oh, thank God I never met you. Oh, yeah. I had a. <laughs> I <laughs> that was a joke. A you of- get the joke, right? Oh, Vasilio. Solis, he was my patient. Oh, what a wonderful man. I loved him. I was, I was at their home many times for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, and so you know all of the wonderful boys and the daughters, right? Yes, yes, yes. One daughter. And, amazing, uh, amazing story. Little, amazing. My little Maltese is actually going to, Rick, uh, to Teddy's veterinary clinic tomorrow. I won't say where. What, the wonderful Indian who saved Teddy? Not, I don't, not that one, but... The one, I, I don't want to say where it is. Yeah, I can't mention the name. He'll be flooded. I don't want to overpower the guy. But, oh, but, but Well, that's that's really sweet. That's really sweet. Can I send you a copy of my book, A Savage Life? I don't know what else to send you. I haven't, but I would love another one. I'll send you one. You could give it to the veterinarian. And can I, can I tell you something? I've been trying to get a picture. I've got a picture of little Ricky surrounded by Michael Savage books in my Michael Savage library, and I would love to be able to get you the picture. You're like a radio groupie. I love it. I, of course I'm going to say yes. Jim, get the lady's uh, email, and I'll get a picture of all the books around her dog. Well, I'm glad I was able to save you from the uh, misinterpretation of what freedom meant. It uh, was hijacked by the communists from the beginning. They saw a bunch of kids who were seeking freedom, who were using a lot of drugs, and the communist movement in this country was so powerful, they swooped in and, and uh, co-opted the movement and turned it into a Marxist movement rather than a movement of peace, beauty, and love. That's the exact reality of what I am talking about. And it doesn't mean that everyone who was impressed with the ethos of that time was taken in by the communist slime. Believe me, not all of us uh, were. When I come back, we have someone who was at Woodstock calling from North Carolina, We have many other people waiting to call. I'll be right back. Savage. So Jerry Garcia probably uh, is responsible for thousands of people who've gone off the rails in this country with his wonderful talent of leading people into drug, sex, and rock and roll. Remember the shooting in Dayton, Ohio? Remember I told you that we shouldn't be focusing on the guns, we should be focusing on the drugs? It just came out today. The coroner said Coke, antidepressants, and alcohol were found in Bet's system at the time of the shooting. A pipe device and a clear baggie carrying Coke was found on Bet's body. Anderson Cooper hasn't reported that yet, nor has he uh, shown the shooter from Philadelphia, nor explained to the nth degree what rifle the shooter in Philly was using as he shot six cops yesterday. That's because Anderson Cooper is nothing but a double agent, as all of them are in the media, working against the interests of America, in my unhumble opinion. But I'll go back to what I want to talk about, the culture of America, as it reflects back on the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the Woodstock Music Festival in Bethel, New York. Uh, I, I won't say that many of you were there. I wasn't there, but in 67... I uh, put on the Be In Again Film Festival, and I told you about that one. It's quite a story. And uh, we're going to go to the callers now because you won't believe how many people vote conservative, 
who are evolved from that era. So don't feel that if you were, let us say, in that direction at that time, there's something like you got to hide. You should embrace what you were and what you evolved into and not listen to the frauds in the media who want you to believe that they're so clean. Half of them were arrested for various and sundry offenses, and they act like they're, they're cleaner and better than anyone on the planet. And conservatives don't use drugs. Conservatives never were hippies. Conservatives never smoked pot. Conservatives never had sex. They were all born by immaculate conception. Their grandfather wrote the Constitution. They're all full of crap in plain English, as my aunt would say. And I'm sick of it. I'm just sick of the, of the conservative movement having been hijacked by these fraudulent multimillionaires in the media. Just as I told you, and I'll repeat it again. The hippie movement was pure in its inception, and it was hijacked by the Marxists. Well, let me tell you something. The conservative movement has been hijacked by the greedy pigs who lie to you every day and fake it until they made it to the Swiss banks with their fortunes. I'm sick of it. The hypocrisy gets me as sick as the hypocrisy on the left when they make believe they're clean as the driven snow. Why don't you look into their backgrounds and see how clean they really were or what they've done to people their whole lives or what they do to people right now under the guise of being great Americans. The only great Americans are under, under crosses in memorial cemeteries. They're your great Americans. They're in military cemeteries. They're not on the radio. No one calls himself a great American if they are. Do you understand that? You ever meet a soldier calling himself a hero? I haven't met him yet to meet one. I get livid when I think about the hypocrisy, and I don't want to be mixed in with them. Please never confuse me with any of these frauds. Don't. I don't care if their show is 100 times bigger than mine. I don't care if they make 50 times more money than I do. I could care less. It doesn't matter to me. I report to a higher authority. I have to answer only to one authority in this world, and that authority has kept me alive all these years because I've tried as best I could, and I have failed. Every step of the way, I've tripped and stumbled, but I've tried to be true to that lodestar called truth. Truth. That's all I care about. Savage. It is the Savage Nation. So we're talking about Woodstock 50 years ago, 1969, music of peace and love. And we have a guest coming up in a second, which you're going to talk about Woodstock uh, from a music point of view by a music writer. But I want to reiterate a major point that I made in the first hour and a half of this program. I said to you, just as the Woodstock scene had been hijacked by Marxists, so too has the conservative movement been hijacked by opportunists. You can fill in the blanks any way you want. You can define the Marxists and the opportunists if you will. I'm not going to do it for you. That's your final essay for the year. But let's go to our guest. Daniel Buckspan is a music writer who wrote a book called Woodstock 50 Years of Peace of Music. Daniel, welcome to the Savage Nation. Thanks for being with us. What's on your mind today about this whole Woodstock thing? All right. Thanks very much for having me. You're welcome. So you, you were not born when Woodstock happened, Daniel. What made you want to write this book? Uh, no, I was born six weeks later, uh, October 1969. Okay. Uh, but it was, you know, it uh, seemed like a very interesting topic just for a music writer. And uh, sort of the deeper I dug into it, it, it became a lot more about the people who attended. Daniel, and- are you are you on a, on, a, on an iPhone because you're popping 
you're too close to the phone. Just back off a bit. We're getting a popping on the radio. How? Uh, what's your favorite story of the Woodstock scene that someone told you? Oh, that's easy. Um, someone told me that they saw a naked couple on a motorcycle, uh, you know, speeding down the highway, and a cop stopped them and said to them, "No, you can't do that. You got to put on a helmet." So they put helmets on and kept going. <laughs> that is a kind of funny story. Yeah. The cop didn't care about the nudity; he cared about the no. safety laws. That's very funny. Yeah. Uh, doing his job. Uh, that's a good story. Do you think that another Woodstock could happen today? Absolutely not. Not <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, I feel like it was a once once in a lifetime. Uh, you know, it's like trying to get hit by lightning again. It's just not going to happen. And um, I'm not. Well, even- well, the festival that we're talking about is still making an impact on pop culture. Correct? How so? Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, we're still talking about it, and there are still, you know, as recently as a month ago, uh, trying desperately to get another one going. You know, um, you know, in terms of just the effect it had on pop culture, uh, you know, all the festivals that you have now, like Burning Man and Coachella and stuff like, you know, wouldn't have happened. Yeah, but these festivals are nothing but overt sex and drug use, and I'm not so sure that everyone who went to Woodstock was totally stoned and totally into uh, group sex. I'm not sure of it at all. Oh, most of the people that I interviewed were totally stoned and into group sex. While well, they were- I was from that generation, and I wasn't. Oh, my, so, my parents, uh, I think, are almost... They were born in 1941, and they say, I missed the 60s, because they, you know, they were not counterculture people. Uh, they were not there. Uh, yeah, but my point today is that there were some wonderful things that came out of this period of time, but not everybody became a sex maniac and a drug addict. No, um, that, you know, that was the counterculture. Uh, most of America, most of the world, is, you know, is just as it was then and it is now, just regular people just trying to carve out a living. Right, and many of the people who went to Woodstock were regular kids because I knew some of them, and they went back to their regular lives after Woodstock. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a nice little three-day break from reality. Right, right. But it nevertheless had a, a deep impact upon the world in many, many ways, some good and some bad. Have you visited Yasker's farm since you wrote this book? I'm, I'm sitting on it right now. At this oh, you are? You're sitting up at Yasker's farm? Did you buy it or what? No. Uh, they're having an event here for the 50th anniversary. Uh, there's a lot of people camping, uh, all ages of people. And uh, it's very seen, <laughs> very friendly. Family. <laughs> Who owns that? Who owns that land today? Uh, a woman named Gerald Abramson owns the part of it that I'm on, and the actual site itself, like the field, is owned by the Museum at Bethel Woods. The, did you say the Museum of Bethel Woods? Yes. Amazing! They turned it into a museum. So you know, this is an interesting story. This guy owned a dairy farm, right? Yasker was a, Yasker's farm was a dairy farm. Yes. And uh, these kids rented it, the, the promoters rented it for this event. No one ever expected it to be as big as it was. But Yaska was kind of an easygoing guy. He kind of liked, he dug the whole scene. Even though they trashed the land, he didn't care, did he? Um, he didn't actually, like, he had no connection to the counterculture whatsoever. He was very pro-war, conservative, Republican. Uh, but he was, he was, like, you know, sort of more of a Goldwater Republican, where it's about like freedom of assembly, uh, freedom of thought. <laughs> He's my, well, Goldwater was my hero. I wish we had a Goldwater today, by the way. We, we, so your book is called Woodstock, 50 Years of Peace and Music. You're up there right now on the Yasker Farm, which is astounding. 
Your name is uh, uh, Daniel Buckspan, and the book is Woodstock, 50 Years of Piece of Music. Uh, are any of the Yaska family still alive up there in the farm? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. They uh, passed on several years ago. Hmm. Uh, here's a crazy question. I, I know that area fairly well. I don't I haven't been there in 50 years, that area. Is land still pre- pretty inexpensive in that in that region of the mountains? Uh, it depends where you are. There are some parts of it uh, that like can fetch top dollar, and other parts of it that are economically depressed beyond redemption. And I don't see them ever coming back. Like what towns in that area? Where where is Bethel, New York? Apropos of let's say uh, the old Catskills that I knew, Allenville, South Fallsburg, Monticello is it- in that area. Yeah, that that is not what you remember anymore. I'm sorry to say. Uh, no, I know it's like it's a slum, right? It's a slum, drug infested area now. Um, I wouldn't even say that. I'd just say that there's. I mean, there are barely even any people. Uh, really, even the Hasids have left. No, the Hasids are there, but they're mostly just here during the summer. Oh. Um, so, what what is land in those towns an acre? Do you know? I'm I'm just crazily interested in this. It's an interesting question to me because I remember this bucolic childhood. I know it's not that at all. No, um, but my my mother actually her family used to have uh, a house in Ellenville, uh, but again, it's not the same. It's not the same sort of thing that you remember anymore, unfortunately. No, I wrote a story called "Love by the Sewer Plant" set in Springfield <laughs> years ago. Um, no. Oh man! Well, Daniel, I wish you the best of luck up there. I wish I was with you right now to enjoy the bucolic beauty of that area. The book is "Woodstock: Fifty Years of Piece of Music" by Daniel Buckspan. Daniel, thanks for being with us on the Savage Radio Show. Thank you very much. You know, I got to tell you something. I, you know, this kid, this man, politically, I'm sure we're the opposites. But you know what? I had a nice conversation. He didn't try to steer it. I didn't try to steer it. He made a statement. I made a statement. We didn't have to hate each other, did we? We didn't have to devolve into the Democrat-Republican stupidity to survive in this country. That's the whole thing I'm trying to say, say to you, you know? It's like, why do you have to hate the other side? Can't you just try to talk to them? And try to explain to them that there's a blend of people in society today, as exemplified by the people who are calling the show today, who are once hippies, who had the sentiment of the freedom we talked about, whether they be a surfer or a woman who called or was a promoter for the Bill Graham concerts, who are hardcore conservatives now. And they're proud of their evolution. They're not hiding their past. They actually probably still love it, you know. And that's the whole point, is that we are evolved as a nation, we're evolved as people, and unless we evolve together, we're going to fall together. I can tell you right now, learn to talk to your enemy. That's the only thing left for this country if we're to survive. And the damn people in the media, I damn them all for driving people apart and telling everyone to hate each other. And I can name them one after the other. What's going to good? You'll blame me, they'll blame you, and I'll blame them, and we are all one together. North Carolina, Ari, thanks for calling line six. What's on your mind? What's your story? Yeah, uh, we were both at Woodstock, my wife and I. We did not know each other at the time. We, were, we sat about 100 feet apart. I, I remember coming. Uh, we parked But you're in North Carolina now, and both you and your wife did not meet at that time? We did not meet. We met about a month later and were married the following fall. And you're together all these 50 years or so? Yes, we, we are. But we are conservatives now. In in North Carolina, right. But do you live on a farm? Do you live in a house? a suburban? How do you live now? Uh, we live on the on the water and on the intercoastal waterway, Amazing. by the ocean. So, as people who were through the movement of Woodstock, who didn't know each other there, but then you met and you fell in love and got married, and you're there together half a century. Looking back, is there anything you regret from from what you did in that time period? Well, yeah, I, I regret 
that I, 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 I took the bait and swallowed it whole with regarding the psychedelic movement and the counterculture and the, the promotion of the challenge of the Judeo-Christian ethic was really what was going on there. Hmm. And the, the uh, Timothy Leary and all those guys, I was in school in Poughkeepsie, and when, Har- when Leary was thrown out of Harvard, he moved to Poughkeepsie and started the Castilia Foundation. Allen Ginsberg and, all, and Ken Kesey came through and all these other people. So he was a great influence on me. Well, remember, I have told the story that I was the gatekeeper at the Millbrook estate where Leary had, had encamped because the rich kid who, uh, who inherited it turned it over to him. Uh, I knew what they were into, but I went up to Leary when I got there, and I said, I do not use LSD. I never use it. I never want to use it. So he said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, he, he said to me, oh, you don't use LSD? He said, then you'd be a good gatekeeper because you'd be the only one who's not stoned. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He really did. It's an tr- absolutely true story, but I lasted three days. I couldn't stand it for a number of reasons. I, I, I pitched a tent at the gates of that Millbrook estate. It's a beautiful estate, beautiful stone walls, and it rained like hell, and the tent flooded out. So I was in the tent with my girlfriend at that time, who I had uh, met, was still married, by the way. And uh, I said, that's enough. I'm not staying here in, the, in this muddy little tent. But uh, I had two, three nights there at the Millbrook Estate with Leary. He was really interesting in his own way. But he was a devil. He was a devil who misled most of the generation. There's no question in my mind. He had, he had the, the, charisma, the charisma of an entertainer and, unfortunately, the message of the devil himself. The deceived intellectual. Right, turn on, tune in, drop out. I mean, he destroyed a lot of minds. There were people, and there still are people, walking around Berkeley, California, who are still ripped on LSD, who have never done anything with their lives as a result of that drug. And to keep pushing the same message uh, leads us to what's going on in San Francisco today, where crime is out of control, where people defecate in the streets and they call it freedom, and where the so-called city fathers and mothers do nothing uh, but permit it to happen for fear that somebody will attack them for trying to bring civility back to this uh, once beautiful city. Well, I thank you for calling the show. I'm sending you a copy of A Savage Life. You know, that story I just told is not in there. Stay in the line. That's the story that I want to add to that. See, there's no end to stories. You know, in, in, the, in the Bible, there are many books, and one of them is the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, there's a, a passage that says, of the making of many books, there is no end. Isn't that true? I know it's in Deuteronomy. At least I think it is. Of the making of many books, there is no end. I shall return because of the making of many radio programs, there is no end. Savage. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Savage Be In. So I made a mistake at the end of last segment, not by saying that just as the Woodstock scene had been hijacked by Marxists, and so too has the conservative movement been hijacked by opportunists. No, that wasn't my mistake. My mistake was saying uh, that the saying of the making of many books, there is no end, was from Deuteronomy. It was from Ecclesiastes 12.12. And the interpretation of it is is exactly the opposite, by the way, of of what you may think. So this was from Solomon. And he said, because the preacher was wise, he taught the people knowledge. Yeah, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. And uh, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. But here it comes in number 12 of Ecclesiastes. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. So what Solomon was saying is you didn't need any other book except the Bible. 
Now, the problem with that is that saying, don't study anything. And some of the super orthodox Muslims and super orthodox Jews still believe that. So they teach their children only the holy book. And I think that they do their children a great disservice. Since there are so many fine minds, both in the religious and non-religious world, to lock a child out of all of the understanding of science is insanity. We don't know what's being kept from humanity as a result of doing that. But nevertheless, you look into something like this and you could see so many things if you start to think about it. And so that is why I thought I'd go to the correct uh, uh, source on that. Let's take some quick one call is all we have left on this wonderful show today. Dave in California, line four, quickly, what's your story? Tell it, please. Hey, Dave, or uh, Dr. Savage, I'm Dave. Um, my mother was born in 1949. I was born in 1968. I'm a product of a hippie. I was in her belly at Jimi Hendrix. With- <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's a little intimate. Go on. I want to hear more. I'm going to tell you more. I am a conservative. She was a, she was a, kind of a conservative liberal back in those days. She was a, around Kennedy and all that. Back in those days, they were a little bit more conservative than they are nowadays. Right. Kennedy was considered uh, a, they call him white supremacist today. If John F. Kennedy were to be on the Democrat platform, they'd boo him off the stage and call him a white supremacist uh, who grew up with white privilege. That's how psycho they become. Yes. Um, the, I grew up around music. I've seen pictures of her uh, uh, pregnant at all kinds of concerts. Uh, she was never in the music industry. But she ha- she was a hippie. Um, she was a successful hippie, though. I mean, she always worked, provided meals for me, roof over my head, everything. Um, I'm conservative nowadays. I I don't really remember Ford and Carter too much, uh, but I remember Reagan. Well, your mother was pregnant with you while she was at these concerts. Is that what you said? Yes, I was at concerts. I've seen pictures of uh, her pregnant. I'm her only child. So she was pregnant with you while she was there. So in the womb, you were listening to Jimi Hendrix. Yes. All right. And it didn't affect affect you negatively. I mean, apparently you're a conservative politically, and you did okay in your life. Yes, I'm a Trump voter, and I will vote again. But the only thing I uh, wonder about is hopefully we'll get him again. But what's going to happen after that? You know, that's moi le deluge. I'll tell you what's coming after that. If he doesn't get reelected or he gets reelected and after that, there's going to be a communist revolution in this country. That's what I fear. When you look at occasional cortex and that generation of drug addicted children who do not know what the hell they're talking about, but who have been brainwashed by the older communists like Bernie Sanders, the world will come to an end as we know it. We will sink into a hundred years of darkness. I thank you for listening and calling the show. This has been wonderful. I've enjoyed every second of it. It wouldn't have happened without you. This is a super, super show. I want to thank Robert Borowski on the uh, on the organ. And I want to thank uh, Jim Verde on the uh, uh, piano. And I want to thank all the others in the band called the Savage Nation, Dug Up in Oregon. We wish Karen uh, O'Toole the best. We hope she comes out of the hospital real soon. Thank all of you for making the Savage Nation what it is. Good night. The Westwood One Podcast Network.